0: The following audio is from our live Provoke and Inspire event in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You were called to make the world brighter, to run on the front lines, to cast a vision where it had not yet landed. You were not gifted to be a random burst of energy, but a consistent force that enables the world to hear beauty, see potential, and write stories in a way that points the world to Jesus. Provoke and inspire. Um, I know we've you've heard a lot, and I'm going to try to bring it together a little bit. Um, And obviously, a lot of this you have to process on your own, and and it by by no means is a a complete package in the sense that you, if anything, that this would lead you to your own time of seeking the Lord on this and what He might be saying through this. Um, These are just some of our stories and our experiences. Um. And and as you can hear, it's a lot of figuring this out the hard way and making mistakes along the way. So though it is intense, hopefully it's also encouraging because like Chad said, if he can use me, he can use anybody. Um, and we should all be encouraged by that. So in just trying to wrap up um, what we're talking about tonight, um, I wanted to look again at Mark. Um, but before that, in Matthew 7, uh, 14, 14, Jesus says these haunting words. He says, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Um, obviously, in this context, Jesus is talking about salvation, and this isn't a very popular thing to talk about uh, today. You know, we don't want to talk in these kind of absolutes. Um, but looking at the world, I mean, it's, it's, unfortunately, it seems to be true. It's It's hard to follow Jesus in our culture. It certainly does seem like a narrow path that you have to really fight to stay on. When you look at the life of Jesus, whenever he seemed to rescue someone, he also seemed to, to send them out. It was kind of part of it. Um, and, and one of the, the places where I see that, and it's really inspired me, is in Matthew 4, 18 through 22. And let me just read that. He says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing the nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. You know what about you, but I've grown up with these kinds of stories my whole life, and so familiarity can be an enemy to me. I can just breeze past this and not really consider how significant this event really is. I mean, think about this. Jesus is walking along. There's no context. There's no long acclamation process. He just sees two sets of brothers. They're at work. And he just says, Follow me. And they do. I mean, this is pretty amazing. If you look at their response, the first set of brothers say, At once, they followed him. And then the second set of brothers said, Immediately, and if in my life, if I do anything at once, That kind of implies there was no negotiation, right? I'm not hesitating. That's like immediately. I don't use the expression, I did anything at once very often. But obviously, this was a quick response. This was no small thing for them to do. You know, we can kind of think of this as kind of a cute story. You know, like this was a hobby. But these were small business owners. I mean, this is how they provided for themselves. Similar to Chad, he was in a good place financially. And Jesus said, leave it. And it was to uncertainty, and in the same way, uh, they left it all behind. What I've experienced in in doing this type of ministry for 10 plus years is that there is certainly a narrow and wide road as it relates to salvation, but in my experience, there also seems to be a narrow and a wide road as it relates to calling. In Ephesians 2.10, it says that God has prepared you for good works in advance to do personally. He's prepared you with specific tasks that he has in mind. And these aren't just religious activities, you know, like certain people you're going to feed or or go to church. That's not what he's talking about. Paul is talking about eternally significant things. But what what I've experienced is though God has this call for all of us, for you and for me, it's hard. And not many people take this life on. You know, in, in, in various ways, you've heard of reasons why tonight, you know, lack of faith, convention, wanting to stay in the boat, the worries of life. You know, in, in Chad's story, it's it's the seduction of success and, and kind of having the things of the world. I want to focus on the third thing that's brought up here in Mark. And the third thing that's brought up is the desire for other things. It's kind of a You know, it seems like the one that maybe isn't as strong, but to me it's the one that really stood out. And that's kind of what I want to close on because I believe that this is a very subtle and and very deceptive enemy of impact. You know, it's interesting to me that it just says other things and it doesn't, I don't believe it it has like a lot of positive or negative connotation there. It just kind of throws that in there. Because the reason for that, in my opinion, is that there are some very obvious things that are going to pull you out of making a difference for God right? Moral failure or just deciding to live for material gain. These are kind of obvious things that we have to wrestle with. But what I've seen is that a lot of us will trade a great call for a good one. You know, for a great thing that God has for us, for simply good things, for other things. More often than not, it's, it's artists who trade this narrow road, this this difficult path for the wide one that stops them from being fruitful. More often than not, this is the greatest impact to them making a difference. So what do I mean by this? What, what is this wide path that we can potentially choose? I think there's a couple big trades that we make. you know. And I, There's a lot of ways I could go with this, but there's two that really stand out to me. Two trades that we make as artists that prevent us from being fruitful. The first trade is, is radical obedience for convention and comfort. It's a little bit about what David was talking about. And Jesus gives this series of encounters that he has in which he talks about the cost of following him. You know, this is not in my notes, but I'm reading this biography on Hudson Taylor, this missionary in the mid-1800s. Talk about the cost of following Jesus. I mean, literally giving up everything, living in terrible conditions. But Jesus gives this series of encounters in Luke 9, 57 through 62. And it illustrates for us the cost of following him. It says this, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know, God cares about your physical needs. right? He knows that that we need places to sleep and, and food to eat. He's aware of these things. These aren't bad things. But following Jesus means that you won't always be comfortable. You know, what I've experienced is that true obedience to Jesus means that your obedience has to extend beyond having all of your physical needs met, however you define that. You know, I believe so many artists fall short of the incredible calling on their lives because they trade obedience for comfort. You know, we may not say it that way, but it's true when we look at it. And looking at the example Jesus gives, it's clear that all of our physical needs might not be met when we follow Jesus. I mean, he says the son of man, you know, himself, it doesn't, he didn't always have a place to sleep. A radical call means sometimes you're going to be uncomfortable. Sometimes your needs aren't going to be met. The passage goes on. He says to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said, then let the bear, dead bury their own, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In this example, the man, this man wants to follow Jesus, but he wants to do so in his own timing. You know, and this even seems like a pretty valid excuse, right? I mean, let me go bury my father. I think we would think that's fairly acceptable, but Jesus says, no, it's now or never. Which seems kind of harsh from Jesus, right? But how often... Do we say we want to make a difference for Jesus, but right after I, fill in the blank. Right, Lord, I will follow you, but I just want to, you know, get financially stable first. Or, or I want to just get, you know, my, my project off the ground. I want to get kind of things in a good place or I need to get my, finish my education or I just want to get my family, you know, set, things in a certain place. They may even be good reasons, but following God is about saying, I will go and I will go now. Remember the brothers, they went at once, they went immediately. I mean, they could have said, Lord, I mean, we have a business, let us just get it to a profitable place, you know, let us get it, we'll get some employees, we'll get it self sustaining, you know, and then we can go and then we can do all these things for you. They didn't do that. Or at least they could have said, Jesus, let us sell our gear, you know, let us sell the boats or the nets, you know, have some money, but they didn't do that. I mean, they literally just rowed the stuff to shore and left it. It's incredible. If we're going to make a difference for Jesus, it's not on our timing and on our terms. The passage goes on. Still another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. In this last example, this man uses his family as an excuse to not following him. But even the family must be put on the altar of serving God. Now hear me clearly. I'm not saying that you neglect your family to pursue ministry. I have a nine-month-old boy. I'm married. I love my family. God will never ask you to do something that contradicts his character. That's not what I'm saying but so often we use our families, we hide behind those to not have faith. So many artists are called to radical ministry, but they fail the test of the seasons. You know, I was single and I was going for it and everything was easy and then I got married. Right? And then, you know, and I had to grow up, you know, and get responsible. Or some, they stay obedient and faithful and then they have kids, you know? The next test. Following Jesus in a radical way means trusting him even throughout all the seasons and I grew up with parents who are full-time missionaries I'm so grateful I'm so grateful that they didn't say you know that was a great life then but you know we I need to do things to we need you know be responsible now that we have kids I'm so grateful that I grew up seeing God move in action that my parents had the faith to believe that a call on their lives included even the family first trade We trade a radical call for convention and comfort. The second trade, acceptance and being liked for clear truth. You know, when I was first starting out a long time ago, as an artist, I was in this Christian Battle of the Bands in Minneapolis, and part of the competition was giving a message which made most of the bands very uncomfortable. Um, And I remember one of the bands getting up, and they did their set, and then they they had to give their message, and the artist said something like this. I paraphrase, but it was like, you know, we really love people, and our message is that we should love each other, and we want to love you, and that's, that's our message. And I remember thinking, that is a nice message. That's even a good message, but something's missing. You know, today you hear it said, the cross is love, right? The, but the reality is, if you don't define what love is, it's a meaningless statement, you know, love in our culture is so cheap. I can love a taco and I can love my wife and a sports team using the same word. Worse than that, it's, a, it's lust in our culture. You want evidence if there's a pop song with the F word in it, the substitute word for that is love. That's not a coincidence. That's how our culture views love. You know, I've seen many Christian artists trade the truth of the gospel for a good message. You know, messages about love or social issues or life transformation. Why? For me, I think it's that many artists think the gospel's gone out of style. You know, we don't want to say that out loud, but it's, it's so intense. You know, it's so fundamental. It's so old school. It's not sophisticated for our modern times. You know, and this kind of mentality has paved the way for a Christian art scene that will talk about anything but Jesus. Today, it's all about life transformation and testimonies. We love when alcoholics stop drinking or drug addicts stop using. And hear me, when you meet Jesus, he changes your life. And we should celebrate that. But Jesus is not just a program for behavioral change. People don't need another self-help life improvement plan. People are dead and they need to be made alive. That's the difference between Jesus and every other world religion. It's not about making yourself better. It's not selling people a program to have a happier life. People need to be forgiven, healed, reconciled. And today we are selling people short by limiting Jesus to a program for behavioral change. I believe many Christian artists have traded the huge incredible impact that God wants them to have for good messages that are palatable and keep them well-liked. Here's the truth. We are not in a unique situation. The cross has always looked foolish and weak to secular culture, always. 1 Corinthians 1, 23, 25, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. The gospel has always been foolish. It's always looked weak Christian artists today are not sharing the gospel for one of two reasons. One, they don't want to look foolish. Pride. You know, we don't really get that far beyond middle school. It's still about looking cool, right? We, we get more sophisticated at it, but that's what it comes down to. We don't want to stand out, not in a way that's going to isolate us and make us look uncool. Or we simply don't believe it's what people really need. Paul, who is a brilliant man, not out of touch, So in tune with his time and his culture, he hits both of these right on the head. I preach Christ and him crucified. I consider all other things a loss. Until we allow our pride to die, until we have a revelation that the power of the cross is what will save and nothing else, we will always shrink back from boldly proclaiming the gospel as artists. And we will not have the fruit that God desires for us to have. You know, there's so many good things that will rob you of great things if you let it. Let me close with this. In Matthew 25, 14, 30, 14 through 30, Jesus gives this illustration. I won't go into detail, but it's about the masters and the servants and, and the talents. You know, and this master gets four servants, they, he gives them talents, and three out of the four, they use it well, they steward it well, and they're fruitful. But there's one servant, and he just sits on it. And the master is very upset. In fact, he calls him a wicked, lazy servant. And here's the idea. We have been given so much. If you drove here today, if you have a house to sleep in, if you have food to eat, if you're an artist, with the kind of time and money to devote to making art, you are an incredible elite category in the planet. Most people don't know where their next meal is coming from. Most people on the planet today don't know if they will survive the week. And here we are, given so much. What will we do with the talents we've been given? As David said, the world is on fire. It's almost too much to read about and to look at. It's overwhelming. I'll be in some city in a country and I'll have no idea about the city and there'll be a million people there and I'll look out of the window and I'll be overwhelmed by the needs. So much brokenness, so much poverty, so much injustice. We've been entrusted with the truth and we've been given platforms on which to share it. I don't know how big your platform is or how big God wants your platform to be, but I do know that we've been given the truth. This isn't about feeling guilty or ashamed. I've done more wrong than I'd like to admit, and I've learned the hard way. But what I do know is that every opportunity God has given me, I have shared the truth. And it hasn't always been easy, and there's been a cost. But the price, or but the, the, the reward of seeing people change, the reward is, is so much greater than anything the world has to offer. You were created to make an eternal difference, and Jesus is calling. That's why you're here. That's why you're here and not at some other event. Will you row your boat to shore? Will you leave it all behind? That's 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 the whole point of what we're doing here. Thanks for listening to Provoke and Inspire, the official Come and Live podcast. To hear past podcasts, go to come and Got a question for the guys? Send it in to provoke and inspire at come and live.